men. The thrill of hope as we come to Advent and prepare for this Christmas season, it's hard to believe that we are already at the end of 2021. Uh, This year has in many ways been a blur, but in many ways there's still so much uh, that is going on in our world, and it, it seems to be the case every year that there is just so much we can look at in the world and be discouraged by, be frustrated by, feel defeated by, and And we come to that lyric of that song, just the thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. What does hope mean? As we come to this first Sunday of Advent, we want to look at Luke chapter 21. If my clicker will cooperate, there we go. Luke chapter 21, verses 25 through 36, where it says, And there will be signs in, in sun and moon and stars. And on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near." We read things like that and we we think about these promises of the coming of the Messiah and the return of Jesus. And if we're not careful, there can be this part of us that says, yeah, right. We've been waiting 2,000 years and he still hasn't come back. And even though we would never articulate that, sometimes our hearts can reflect the reality that we've given up the hope that Christ is coming again. Sometimes we can live in the sense of defeat that all that's going wrong in the world is going to triumph and have its way. And and where is the hope of the return of Jesus? And we come to this Christmas and we think back 2,000 years ago and what it meant for the Messiah to be born into the world and what it meant for the people of Israel the people of Israel who, in many ways, had that same mentality of, yeah, right many of whom had given up hope that the Messiah would ever come. Because whether it's 2,000 years or 4,000 years or 20 years, sometimes the longer that hope gets delayed, it's harder to cling to that hope. So we have the people of Israel waiting and longing for the coming of the Messiah. Imagine yourself being among the people of Israel and you hear all of these prophets coming to you and talking about how the Messiah is going to come. The Messiah is going to come. The Messiah is going to come. And so your heart is filled with hope and expectation and anticipation, and that doesn't happen, and your children grow up hearing the stories of the prophets declaring that the Messiah was going to come. And so their hearts are filled with hope and anticipation as they hear prophets say, the Messiah is going to come, the Messiah is going to come. And suddenly that is passed on to their children and their grandchildren and their grandchildren's children. And on and on and on, this legacy goes on of the Messiah is going to come. Any day now, the Messiah is going to come. Meanwhile, 
the people of Israel while waiting for this Messiah, waiting for this deliverer who's going to just reestablish and defend his people. They see themselves being taken into captivity by the Assyrians. They see themselves being taken captive by the Babylonians and they suffer all of this torment and then time goes on and all of a sudden now the Romans are oppressing them. Messiah's coming. Really? Where is he? Because if he hasn't come by now, is he ever going to come? Can you imagine this promise of a Messiah who's going to reestablish Israel as a powerful nation and establish the throne of David and you see your loved ones being killed by foreign nations? You see your loved ones not making it out of captivity. And you say, where's that Messiah? Is he ever going to come? Before the birth of Jesus, there were many false messiahs who were proclaiming themselves to be the Messiah. We get this little snippets of hostility between the Jewish people and the Roman authorities and the Gospels. And, and we pull back and begin to understand what's happening here, that not only with um, the Maccabean revolt, but we've got all these rumors of all these messiahs coming. And by this point, the messiah had become just this hope of a political powerhouse. And so we've got these constant threats of false messiahs that are stirring up this, these political ambitions of the Jewish people. And you've got the Roman emperors and the Roman powerhouses who are like, that's not going to happen. And so we've got these increasing threats and pressures and oppression against the Jewish people. That messiah is going to come. Messiah is already here and they get their hopes up only to find out that it's just some guy. If you spend enough time in downtown Pittsburgh, I'm sure you could find somebody who says that they're the Messiah. It was no different then. False Messiahs rising up, raising people's hopes. Where was he? Perhaps the Jewish people thought for certain you know, the Messiah was going to come because Caligula goes into the Jewish temple and he slaughters a pig and proclaims himself to be God. And ah, certainly this is fulfilling prophecy. Now Jesus is going to come back and he doesn't. When Titus goes into the temple declaring himself to be God. Ah, now Messiah is going to come. Now Jesus will come back and he doesn't. And then going back to the 1960s and 70s, we had a host of television preachers trying to predict the day and time when Jesus would come back and those dates come and go and they recalculate their numbers and set a new date and a new time and those dates come and go and still Jesus doesn't come back. And certainly if you're old enough to remember, which almost all of us in the room are, in 2000, Y2K, that's when everything was going to just explode in front of us and certainly then Jesus would come back and 21 years later he's still not come back all of the cheesy movies from the 1970s depicting the rapture and Jesus coming back the rise in popularity of the left behind series of books and we fall in this heritage of Christians who believe that Jesus is coming back any minute 
And there's nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing. But we understand that for 2,000 years, as Christians, we, we follow this heritage of Christians who have said, Jesus is coming back in my lifetime. And the danger we need to avoid is having the despondency of being, well, I thought he was going to, but he didn't. And allowing ourselves to fall back to the idea of, I don't know that he's ever coming back. What is the thrill of hope? mean for us again Luke chapter 21 and then they will see the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory do you know that when God promises something he always fulfills that promise do you know that when God promises something he never promises it's going to happen quickly God has a very different perception of time than we do. Ask Abraham. Abraham, you're going to have a son. You and Sarah are going to have a son. Kind of thinking, you know, the sooner the better. Not waiting until they're both pushing 100 years old. That's kind of late in life to be having a baby. God's timing isn't confused by our expectations. God's timing isn't deterred because we're growing weary or frustrated. In fact, Luke 21, it says in verse 28, Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads. I love that imagery. Because if you are feeling defeated, if you are feeling discouraged, you have a tendency to slouch, let your head hang low. The time I spent playing football in high school and we get beat week after week after week, we never walk off the field with our heads held high with kind of a swagger about us. It was like, oh boy, another one. When you see these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads. People of God who might feel discouraged, who might feel defeated, who look at everything happening in the world and say, is there any hope? Is there any sense that Jesus is going to come again? Is there any sense that right will prevail? Is there any sense that justice will win the day? Is there any sense that righteousness is going to ultimately triumph over evil? And sometimes in life we get so focused on the here and now that we can begin to just droop down in despair and sorrow and just saying, where is God in all of this? Doesn't God care? Why isn't God acting? And what's he waiting for? But it says, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Your redemption is drawing near. And whether or not we see the return of Jesus in our lives, I believe that that is a message for us today that your redemption is drawing near. Because again, we are bombarded with bad news and discouraging news and things just seem to be getting worse and worse and worse all around us. You can go back and read through Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's not a pleasant read, but I, I kind of felt like it was... It's one of those things that as Christians, we owe it to ourselves to read. And 
We think about the things that persecuted Christians have endured over the centuries. And what persecuted Christians are facing today in other parts of the world. See, how are they holding in there? How are they not feeling completely discouraged, completely defeated, completely uh, with the sense of abandonment? Because of hope. Because of hope. And again, we have this vague sense of hope. This vague sense of hope that everything's going to work out okay. And that's just optimism. The biblical sense of hope is God promised it. And it's going to happen. I don't know when. I don't know how. I know that everything around me seems to scream that it's not going to happen. But God promised it's going to happen. The people of Israel, many of them had just begun to lose hope that the Messiah was ever going to come. So much so that when the Messiah did come, they wouldn't believe it. And we could look around and say, hope. What hope is there in this world? What hope is there in this life? Straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. You know that we're one day closer to seeing Jesus face to face than we were yesterday. If nothing else is true, that is true. Today, we're one day closer to seeing Jesus face to face than we were yesterday. And that's a cause to rejoice. I know that it can sound morbid or pessimistic to think that way, but it depends on the perspective that we look at it from. When <clears throat> Julie and I were in college, I shared the story I know a few weeks ago that she went uh, with Campus Crusade for Christ to a leadership development internship project in New Jersey for the summer before our senior year of college. And I was counting down the days until she came back home. Counting the days till she came back home to Cleveland, and every day was one day closer to seeing her again. That summer wasn't filled with just, oh, woe is me, I'm never going to see her again. It was one day closer. One day closer. Because I knew she was coming back. She said so. And I know that as humans, we can change our minds, but I had no reason to doubt that she was going to come back. Jesus said very cl clearly, I'm coming back. When he ascended into heaven, the angels kind of looking at the disciples like, hey, focus. You saw him go, but he's going to come back just the same way you saw him leave. He is coming back. You don't know when. That's Jesus said it's not for us to worry about when. But to anchor our lives on the certainty that he is coming back, and if it doesn't happen in this life, we will still see him face to face one day. And every day it's one day closer. One day closer to seeing the one that my heart loves. The thrill of hope. The thrill of knowing that one day we will see Jesus face to face, that just as he promised for centuries through the prophets that the Messiah was going to come, and guess what? The Messiah came into the world. 
And for 2,000 years, he's been promising, I am going to come back. We can anchor our lives on the assurance that he will, in fact, come back. And he's assured us that he's going to prepare a place for us, and we can know for certainty that there is a place waiting for us with him. That's the thrill of hope. That no matter what we see on the evening news, no matter what we read in the newspaper, no matter what happens around us, no matter what new aches and pains we wake up with today, we have the assurance that one day I'm going to see Jesus and all of this is going to be a memory. All of this is going to be nothing. All of this is just going to be a blip on the radar of eternity with Jesus. All of these things that I put my hopes and my dreams, my expectations, and all of these things that I base my joy upon 10,000 years from now, I'm not going to remember a whole lot of it. Do you ever try to remember your childhood? You know, it's horrible when you when maybe you run into somebody at the store and like, oh, we went to high school together. And for the life of you, you cannot recall that memory. I don't know who you are. Remember that one event, you're like, oh, I'm never going to get this. And yeah, you forgot it. All those things that, oh, you know, certainly I'll remember that. I don't remember a lot of last week. No less 40 years ago, 45 years ago. All of these things that we put so much emphasis on. I wonder 10,000 years from now, we're going to look back and say, well, really? I, that was happening in the world? I don't remember that. Oh, oh, well. You know, eternity is a long time. We saw last week where the Apostle Paul made this conclusion that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed to us. What's happening in this life, what goes on in this world is not worth comparing to the fact that one day, the Jesus that I've loved in this life, the Jesus that I've served, the Jesus that I've put my hope in, one day I'm actually going to see him face to face. That's the thrill of hope. Knowing that he is faithful to his promises. Knowing that we will see him one day, that one day his righteousness will be established, one day his kingdom will reign that all of the horror and the tragedies and the bad news that surround us will one day be a passing memory. I've shared before that whenever I teach through the book of Revelation, I encourage you that if you're one to write in your Bible, to do what I did in my Bible at home, and we get so bogged down in multi-headed monsters and this, that, and the other thing, and we get lost in what Revelation was written for. Revelation was written to encourage persecuted Christians that Jesus is going to win. That no matter what they're facing, Jesus wins. And so I have in my Bible at home, every page, Jesus wins. That's what Revelation is about. Forget about creatures and multi-headed things and images. And there's a place to try to figure those out. But at the end of the day, the book of Revelation is simply Jesus wins. And the thrill of hope is more than just the optimism that Jesus wins. It's the sure foundation of knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt. Jesus wins and we'll be with him forever.
no matter what we face, no matter what we endure, no matter how discouraged we feel, we will see him face to face. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jennifer Mooney. Welcome to what is our new Hope Interrupted podcast based on the work from our book, Hope Interrupted, that I co-authored with my good friend, Byron McCauley. Hey, Jennifer, you know, I'm looking forward to this podcast as much as I was look, looking forward to writing this book with you. We hope to interview some uh, high impact folks as well as have a little fun. We're going to cover stories of hope. To learn more about our podcast and our book, please visit www.hopeinterrupted.com.